The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Why, hello, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy, a media producer. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. Joining me today as my special guest co-host, once again, is Royce Christen. Hello, Royce. hello, hello. Hey, Royce is an actor, director, and the author of the book, Scripting the Life You Want, Manifest Your Dreams with Just Pen and Paper. How's it going, Royce? It's going great, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great. So I know that uh, you have been up to a new book. What's going on with that? How's that going? I Well, thank you for asking. I, I've been up to actually two new books. Two uh, new books? Kind of, well, it's really funny. One it was a total accident. So I, I had Scripting the Life You Want. And then last year, uh, for anybody out there who is a fan of our friend Harv Bishops, I wrote an article for him uh, for his website. That was a part one. And then um, while I was working on part two of that article, uh, by the time it got to like 100,000 words, I went, oh, boy, I accidentally just wrote a book, didn't I? So um, <laughs> thankfully- what a, what a nice accident. <laughs> it was. Well, you know, like- I. It, it, two straight months and I just kept going further down this rabbit hole so I was writing and writing and writing and I was like oh no so uh thankfully Harv had a sense of humor about that because you know he didn't get his part two yet <laughs> still it's been a year <laughs> but so that one um sort of was a happy accident so we're not sure if that one will come out next or the one I, I just am wrapping up right now uh which is a lot of fun which is uh it, it, it's kind of a combination of what I wrote about in scripting and then actually what you came to the course I taught on scripting your environment. Um, and, it, and it takes everything just a couple steps further. So we'll, we'll, we'll see which one comes out next. It's like, awesome. uh, I just had a meeting with the publishers uh, last week. So hopefully uh, we'll get some dates soon. It's just so weird with everything going on. No one knows, like, right. you know, people are planning book tours from this year for next year. And right. yeah, I'm right. happy just to have a book. All right. Are you ready to talk about our inspirational quotes? You want me to go first, though. You want you want to, you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. You're, you're the boss. <laughs> All right. Here it is. We're longing to bring into manifestation that which has been given us to bring forth. That is why we are sometimes restless and discontented. That which the world has given, that which the world has to give, does not satisfy. But when we go into the secret place, when we learn to be still and know the I am, God's perfect idea of us. We lack nothing. That's from Myrtle like that. Fillmore. Myrtle Fillmore. I like how, that. 
how to let God help you is, is the book. I think it's a compilation of her writing. So I thought that was really cool. I liked that a lot. That's yeah, that's awesome. Um, mine is actually from Michael Jordan, but it covers a also, topic that <laughs> also a revered spiritual, uh, spiritual character. Look, I like to shake things up. I, I, like I, I think it. everybody, I think everybody, I always, I think everybody has them. inspiration. It's true. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. I always look to really successful, balanced people like him and Michael Jordan, you know, I just yeah. think he's such a, such a beacon. Um, and he's so successful. So I love this quote because it's something I talk about a lot. Here it is. Okay, quote, to be successful, you have to be selfish or else you never achieve. And once you get to your highest level, then you have to be unselfish. Stay reachable, stay in touch, and don't isolate. Michael Jordan. I love that. That's great. Isn't that? Well, because I think it's important. For, I just had this talk with a client yesterday or two days ago that, you know, they believe you shouldn't manifest for yourself. Like, it's selfish. And I, I think I have a chapter. It's like, it's a subchapter in my book called I Want You to Want. It's all about how important it is to be selfish, especially in the beginning. And then, like Michael Jordan says, you need to then learn how to flip it around a little bit once you hit your, your peak. So I think it's important for that balance to, to be understood and people not be so imbalanced the other way that they never get anything for themselves. Absolutely. That's very important. I agree with you there. All right. Are you ready to jump into the episode? I am so ready. I'm very excited about it. Let's do it. Funniest thing guy, Ed Biagioti, joins us with a new segment. Hello, everyone. It is Edward Biagioti, and I am the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed on Unity Online Radio. And it is always such a pleasure when I get to come on Big Universe and share my two cents on this way of living that enables us to access our joy, experience more of the types of experiences we want to experience, the kind of things we desire to just express more of who we are and continue to step forward boldly into the life that we desire and today, the word that's on my mind is blessing. And something interesting about the word blessing is that it has the root of bliss. Same root as bliss. I looked into this word in the past and was tickled when I realized that blessing could also be called blissing, which is like seeing life through the eyes of joy. When we are seeing life through the eyes of that joy, and that joy is something that bubbles up from within us, when we are in alignment with who we really are. It's just something natural. It occurs for me when I'm doing my morning routine of meditation, inspired reading, affirmative prayer. It's, it occurs when all of a sudden I remember who I am, where those places inside me that have been holding on stressfully to whatever limiting belief or fear, they just let go and realize that, ah, I am okay. It's like in that, in that moment, I feel so blessed to be alive and I feel so supported and so loved that a sense of bliss just overtakes me in whatever. I, it's so amazing to realize that whatever I was worried about or fearful about or stressful about was really coming from within me, that the feelings were originating inside me, coming from some sort of nightmare some fear, some doubt, some worry that was just sort of active in my subconscious mind. And as that relaxes, it gives way to the universal life force that just wants to flow through us, 
the kingdom of heaven is within it was said and it's so true there it's it's that's what that's the active part of the spiritual lifestyle it's like going beyond just believing that there's something called God that is a, that is loving and kind and that is our father and our mother and our creator it's going beyond that it's like the active participation part where it's like as if God was a river and people were talking about this amazing river but they never really realized that they could just we can go to that river we can jump grab our inner tube and jump on that river and when we get in the flow with that river and not just talk about it intellectually, but actually experience it and feel the bliss of recognizing our oneness with that river. Wow, we become a blessing to everyone and everything in our life. It's like that river begins to flow through us. I believe it was Emerson that said, we're all inlets for this divine flow. Our job is to become an outlet for that divine flow. And when we do, again, blessing, blissing, bless bliss that bliss flows through us and it's it's as if we're being guided but the guidance is coming from who we are it's not some external thing it might come through a flash of insight a flash of intuition a chance meeting remembering something we forgot we knew but it will come and when that's how we become blessings to the world the people and the world around us that's where we can stand in you know, courageous comes from having an open heart. Core is our heart. That, that same word, that same root, living, letting our heart express through us. That's when we become a true blessing. And it's not something we have to work for. In fact, when, we're, when we are the biggest blessing, we're not even trying. We're just going through. I'm going through my life. I'm enjoying it. When I work with kids in the school district where I work, I've been in special education for 22 years. When, I, when I'm in alignment with myself and I'm truly being a blessing to them I'm not it's like I'm not even trying to change them or I'm I'm so appreciative I'm learning so much from my students and and in turn I become a better teacher because then they're more receptive to learn from me and it just becomes this effortless dance and then that in turn blesses their families and they bless me and it becomes a big blessing fest so I recommend you know, a morning practice of meditation, which just means sitting and breathing and let go of, you know, thinking for a minute, let your mind wander for a little bit, just breathe. And then when you start feeling those better feeling thoughts flowing, just affirm some of those thoughts, read some inspiring books, do it all the time and just get back in touch with your inner divine flow. And you really will, through connecting with your own bliss, become a blessing or a blessing to everyone in your world. All right, my name once again is Edward Biagioti, co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed right here on Unity Online Radio, and I love being with you all. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi, friends. It's Martha Creek. Lovely to connect here. I am living life to serve those who serve, to make sure there's something fun in every day and that I'm growing every day and that what I'm doing, I believe, is benefiting the whole of humanity. And today's topic is willingness, willingness, a very positive level of energy may be seen as the gateway to higher levels of consciousness through willingness. So what if willingness is a portal 
a portal, a gateway to higher levels of consciousness. Uh, so think about then elevating from more of a neutral level to I'm willing at the level of willingness where my work is done well. I'm likely to see, to measure, and to focus on the success I'm having in endeavors. Growth in me is more rapid when I come from a state of willingness. At the level of willingness, one has has overcome to a greater degree inner resistance, inner resistance to life and the terms of life. Willingness demonstrates that we are, are committed then, I'm committed, and you can be committed to participation in life on its terms. I'm willing for what is. I'm willing that to change what I can, and I'm willing to accept what I cannot change and the courage to know the difference. At the level of willingness, a great opening occurs and we become, people become more authentic, more genuinely friendly, um, more attuned to, aligned with social and economic progress and progressive means instead of just automatically, instinctually going along status quo, what has been, what is, what, what, what has been and the homeostasis of that versus I'm willing I'm willing, I have willingness to meet whatever comes, and I'm going to be looking to find a way to be with it that's different, that's new, that's innovative, collaborative, creative, more thoughtful, resourceful, instead of um, the old, painful, blaming, shaming, guilty, nitpicking, fault-finding, apathetic way of being. So... This means then that I'm willing, if I really don't want to be unemployed, that I'm willing to take any job that I have to, to create a financial flow or to create a career or to begin self-employment that would move me in that direction. From a state of willingness, I cannot feel demeaned by service jobs or by starting at the, quote, bottom of some place, that I'm willing to start. I'm willing to do something that would move me in the direction of my goals. People who demonstrate and live from a way of being as willingness are naturally helpful to other people, naturally contributing to the good of this relationships, to the good of society, to the good of the family, um, office places, workplaces, whatever. They're also willing to face inner issues, <laughs> to look at self, to do deep inner work, and not to be stuck in the major blocks of the old wounds, the traumas, the personalities, and that. And at this level of, of willingness, self-esteem is innately high, and innately high self-esteem reinforced then by positive feedback. We're more likely from a state of willingness to receive appreciation, even a uh, recognition, reward, and that. Willingness is also sympathetic and responsive to the needs of others. So willing people are builders, contributors. Um, they also have an uncommon 
stamina, an uncommon re resilience, and a way to bounce back from adversity, to learn from experiences, to be self-correcting, to be in life like we're in a laboratory here, learning from it, receiving the feedback, and proceeding from there. Willingness is an excellent student, so that of the uh, um, student's mind, the empty cup mind that says, I know I don't know. I know there's more to know. I know there's more to learn. That makes willing folks uh, teachable, uh, wisely teachable, and a considerable source of power for the world, for society. So who would you be as willing? MarthaCreek.com, if I can serve you. And now it's time for our interview. Rick Hansen is a psychologist, senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley and New York Times bestselling author. His books have been published in 28 languages and include Resilient, Hardwiring Happiness, Just One Thing, Buddha's Brain, and Mother, Na Mother Nurture, with more than 900,000 copies in English alone. Founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contempla Contemplative Wisdom. I always have trouble with that word. He has, been, <laughs> he has been an invited speaker at Google, NASA, Oxford, Harvard, and many other places, and taught meditations, meditation in centers worldwide. His latest book is Neurodharma, New Science, Ancient Wisdom, and Seven Practices of the Highest Happiness. Welcome to Big Universe, Rick. Hello. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And, and I, want to I have never back. felt so underqualified to talk to somebody <laughs> in my life. And that's a lot. I have a healthy well, I started myself. thinking about how rare it is to be on the Disney Channel. And I think it's even oh, more oh, rare, seriously, <laughs> than to have a bestseller. So. I, I don't know. 900,000 copies I would take of my book over Disney. But yes, they're, they're, they're both different, different, uh, different kinds of a, a similar uh, success, I guess, right? Which is what you talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Unusualness. And I want to make I want to make something clear. You are not the father of the children in the band Hanson, correct? That's correct. Nor Hanson Soda. I am not the sheriff of Calgary, Canada. <laughs> nor am I the disabled athlete who wheelchaired his way across that entire country to a great distinction. So wow. I'm simply. Rick simply Hansen. a man who sold almost a million copies. <laughs> Plain vanilla. <laughs> Boring. Well, well, we you are our Hanson, so it's great to have <laughs> you, Rick. Um, so I want to jump in to just understand your book, Neurodharma. Why did you call your book Neurodharma? What what is that about? The essence. It's a weird word. Dharma, you may know, comes from India. It simply means the truth of things. It's not an inherently religious word. And neuro, of course, refers to the ways in which our brains are an enchanted loom, it's been said, continually weaving the tapestry of our consciousness. So when you bring those two together, neuro and dharma, you have both modern science and the penetrating profundity of ancient wisdom uh, that we can then turn into practical tools, experiential things we can do in the trenches of everyday life. I, I love this because the, the this is something that I write about and I am obsessed with the connection between, I'm a giant science nerd, so the worlds of science and spirituality, that's that's what I love to talk about. And one thing I just want to ask for people out there listening, um, how do you maintain that, that like straddle that fence, if you will, because I, I have so many friends that are doctors and, and really close friends that are just now really willing to even 
working with me, endorsing my book publicly, things like that that took years, which I respect. How do you, how have you maintained that balance of being a scientist and, and someone who studies this stuff, but you know you also cover the spiritual side in a, in a major way without basically being labeled a kook? How do you do that? How did you do that? <laughs> Well, I think it's a great question, actually, because uh, we do get pulled in different directions on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, to kind of really go into a little bit, the root of the word for science is to know. The root of the word for Buddha also, Budo, is to know. These are just simply two very powerful, profound ways of knowing ourselves. And for me, if you care about reality as it is, which I do, and you really want to understand things deeply, to me, it just seems how obvious and cool to bring together thousands of years of wisdom. These are people who are described routinely as the Olympic athletes of mental training, peering deeply, deeply into their own minds. To bring that together with the latest hardcore stuff about the three pounds of tofu-like tissue inside the coconut just seems like the coolest <laughs> stuff. And to me, it's been personally enormously useful. And then also as a longtime psychotherapist, as well as a longtime husband and father <laughs> now of adult kids, uh, it's been really useful for me in very down-to-earth ways there as well. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, that is literally, I think, is, as we're moving into this next decade, going to be, this is something that I, is exploding in a really exciting way. Yeah. And it's become very useful for people, which is why I think your book, Dharma, is so important right now. We're going through, obviously, a yeah. lot uh, collectively. Yeah. What, I mean, and, oh, go ahead, Jim. Oh, no, I was just going to go back to the idea of you know the inside and outside you, you talk yeah. about we can know ourselves subjectively and objectively tell me mm -hmm. about that a little bit and that's you, you talk about neurodharma being the place where these two meet yeah well it's it's kind of like what royce was getting at and uh if i could show you the cover of the book it has that image of a mountain i've spent a lot of time in mountains and i think that the idea is that we can learn from people who've gone all the way so just to use an example, I didn't know, Royce, that you had a background in acting before I came here. If I wanted to learn how to be a better actor, I would study people like you who were very good at it, right? So we can learn from people who've made it through life's work to develop a very deep sense of inner peace, resilient strength in the face of challenge and difficulty, uh, the highest happiness, and then especially when the world is crazy around us right now, when it seems like it's totally falling apart, rescue is not coming. We are really on our own. It's more important than ever to do what we can in you know, a breath here, a minute there, 10 minutes in a row, sometimes at least. It's so important than ever to do little practices that grow strengths inside, like mindfulness, grit, compassion, gratitude, deep penetrating wisdom, and so forth. So to me, that's what the book's about. Why not learn from the people who've gone all the way or really far up and then bring that down to earth here in the swamps and plains and lower foothills of everyday life? I love that analogy. Yeah, I think I that's perfect. Yeah. It, just, it makes me giddy. I'm like a little kid just because I, this is, <laughs> this is, you are, you're, you're absolutely someone that I recommend everyone read, not just this book, but you've had so many yeah. important pieces and, and books. I, I read, I watched a TED talk of yours from years ago from Sam. Oh, really? Ryan. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. And I, anybody out there listening, if, if, I hope you go and buy the book, but if this doesn't sell you, watch the TED talk and then go read all of his books because I oh, think I'm this is a really interesting topic that's so important for 
I'm curious, how do you define that place? You know, what is, mm. what is happiness? What is, I mean, gosh, that's a small question, but you know, we've got about, mm. and I, we've got about three minutes to answer that question. Oh, but, or but less, before, no worries. No pressure, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the one hand, happiness is really easy to sneer at. And I feel like there's this pocket industry of professional Grinches these days that sneer at the, even just the notion of attempting to cultivate well-being and happiness, which seems so strange because, of course, we would wish for our friends, our children, even people for me right now, that we're meeting fairly casually, we would wish them well. We would wish them to flourish and to feel good about life, including in ways that are enshrined in America's Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. So what is all that? Um, there are basically two ways in which scientists and psychologists think about happiness broadly. And I prefer kind of the term well-being because it gets more at this broader idea. On the one hand, there's so-called hedonic well-being. You're having a meal with friends. You're watching your sports team win, you know, go San Francisco, Golden State Warriors. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're, um, you know, your, your cat crawls in your lap. Your wife scratches your back. Like that's ordinary hedonic well-being. And there's a lot of it that's available to us in life. Then there's also what's called eudaimonic well-being. It's a funny word. It has to do with a sense of fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. So for me, I think back on when our kids were little, you know, six months old, crying in the middle of the night, I got to get up at three in the morning to walk them back and forth. It's not hedonic happiness. Like, why is my That's wife sure. not doing this? Why do I have to <laughs> grumble, grumble. But it's still profoundly inspiring and important and meaningful to do. So the combination of those two is what, people mean generally by well-being. And if I could make a key point here, well-being, I think, is worth seeking uh, in its own right, and it's worth promoting for others in its own right. Additionally, well-being is like the X factor. It's like the magic bullet for both physical health and longevity, as well as resilience in coping with the greatest hardships of life altogether. A lot of research shows that people who have higher levels of both state and trait well-being, in other words, experiences of well-being and kind of an underlying background mood, we could say, they um, have better physical health, they live longer, they have more fulfilling um, and effective relationships, and when the chips are down and the storm comes, as it is coming right now, um, they're more able to deal with it and not be completely traumatized and blown away by it. Awesome. And there are, as we're going to talk about, there are many paths to finding many traditions and roots to awakening. So we're going to dive into that. We're also going to dive into the seven practices of awakening. And I'm hoping we're going to get, uh, have time to get into HEAL, your acronym for okay. the act activation stage. So we'll do that and as soon as we get back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. strength than I've known I have within me greater talent to express more courage I can muster more faith that I can show oh I am ready we are spiritual beings having a human experience welcome to unity online radio the voice of an awakening world 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Rick Hansen, the author of Neurodharma. Let me ask you a question, Rick. Um, can you give me an idea of what your tradition is, what tradition you're coming from uh, as, you, as you pull into all this? Oh, sure. Um, <clears throat> I stumbled on meditation in 1974. I'm like an old guy. So <laughs> it goes all the way back. And uh, it was rooted mainly in, you could say, the Buddhist tradition. But I've been exposed. I was raised a casual Methodist as a kid, very casual. And uh, I've been exposed, I think, to a pretty wide range of uh, teachings and trainings, actually, around the world. One way to relate to the teachings of the Buddha is in a very secular framework which is, I think, a key reason why uh, that tradition and its ideas and methods have been probably most studied by neuroscientists who are trying to figure out what in the world's going on inside the brain when people are dropped into deep states of concentration and absorption and compassion. Uh, but also, uh, we can understand that the whole point of practice, ultimately, and it is for me, and it's what I explore in the seventh practice in the book of timelessness, um, that ultimately it's about becoming increasingly available to and maybe even lived by that which is meaningfully distinct from ordinary reality. The divine, the ground, whatever you want to call it, God, the nameless. Um, so I think there are two different ways to relate to that. Uh, I, re I would say, you know, if you were to describe me really succinctly, it would be someone who's a Buddhist who believes in God. Interesting. That. that is very cool. That is very cool. All right. So I want to get into the meat of things and get right. into a, a kind of a dive into what you're referring to as the seven practices of awakening. Is that cool? Yeah, totally. So it's, I don't know about you all, uh, lately my wife and I watched the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, about how they did it, right? So if we were going to watch Mike and or be like Mike, in, in a way, we would sort of deconstruct Mike. <laughs> He'd say, okay, this is how he dribbles, this is how he shoots, this is how he, you know, shoves somebody out of his way, this is how he's cool. Okay, we'd look at qualities that Mike has, and then we'd think, how can I grow those myself? How can I develop those so that they're kind of lasting in me, right? In that way, I took a look at people uh, around the world throughout the ages who are the sages, the saints, the great teachers in history, and who, by example, we even see in the world around us today, and then identified these seven fundamental qualities. So I'll just name them to you, all of which we can relate to. First, steadiness of mind. Stable attention, not distracted all the time, mindful, present. Second, lovingness of heart, compassion, kindness, even love, even the capacity to rest in goodwill for others as you oppose them and disagree with them. Third, a sense of fullness, equanimity, emotional balance, contentment, enoughness already. That's, in a word, fullness. So the first three kind of hang together. We know what they feel like when we're really cooking right? When we're in the zone, even without psychedelics, when we're just in the zone normally, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> steadiness, lovingness, and fullness. And then the next three also cluster, wholeness, feeling whole and complete as you are, nothing missing, undivided, uh, 
in the present with nowness while receiving nowness. So you're living more at the front edge of now. You really are being here now, as Ramdas taught. And then sixth, opening into allness, that sense that's real of feeling connected with everything and buoyed by everything, lifted and lived by everything, rather than separated from everything and burdened and beleaguered by it. And then the last quality uh, of timelessness, a sense of being on the edge of stillness, vastness, even mysterious possibility. So the book's about in ways that are really grounded in how your brain works and how to change it, literally change it in lasting ways for the better. The book explores how to uh, develop these qualities so more and more you're just there. More and more you're rested in a feeling of steadiness, lovingness, fullness, wholeness, nowness, allness, and timelessness. Wow, I love that. And really interesting because uh, for everybody out there listening and for you, Dr. Rick, <laughs> uh, you didn't hear us pre-record the, the the opening where we do, you know, about a five minute segment with talking. Oh, I know that. Oh, that's when you'd knock me down. <laughs> no, oh, I'm no, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jim, Tell all my no, gory we, secrets. No, 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 no. Jim. <laughs> that um, private always, detective. I wondered why that guy was standing outside my house all those hours. <laughs> oh, goodness. Could you imagine? Oh, that was no, you. That was you, Royce. That was, that was Royce. That was Definitely. That was that's what now, he sidelines um, as. But Jim, do you know what I'm going to say? How I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. We, he always has us do, uh, uh, we do a competing inspirational quote. And mine was uh, from Michael Jordan, of all people. And I've never, ever done a Michael Jordan quote. And not only that, we talked about him for a few minutes and why I think he's such an important person wow. to, to look at, uh, you know, when you're looking at someone who has succeeded and, and, you know, has been through the ups and downs. So I just thought it was a, a funny little wink, if you will, from the universe that you would also use him as an example. And we Very didn't true. talk beforehand or, or know each other. I just wanted to, to cut, touch on, on, on one of the seven um, practices of awakening. And I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you referred to it as a steadiness of, of heart. Is that correct? Or, I, the first one is steadiness. The second is warm-heartedness. Warming the heart, right. So I always, I, this is something that I, I believe in so much. You gave such a good example of being able to essentially have compassion or, or, or love for, for other people, even if you don't agree with every opinion they have. That's yeah. been a hallmark, just personally, I know of my own success, because I, I, I try to find that place. And it's, it's not easy for everybody to understand sometimes. How though, I think we're in a, in a period right now where I'm at least talking to a lot of people who are really wanting to find that part of themselves and yeah. they're having, you know, they're having maybe some trouble or they, they are confused why other people can't find that part. What are, what are some ways that, that you maybe, if you could speak to those people who maybe have it, but are having trouble locating it or, you know, really want to express that, that portion of yeah. themselves more, what, 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 what could you say to them to maybe give them some maybe some hope or advice here. Oh yeah, so a couple things here. Um, and then I'll do a little practice with you for three breaths, just three breaths. And if you're willing to be my guinea pigs, give up your body for science uh, uh, and then tell me what it was like for you. People can yeah. do it as well who are listening. That'll be an example of what I'm saying. So awesome. oddly, the foundation of we is me. And we need to establish that secure base inside ourselves of feeling strong and uh, entitled to see what we see, uh, want what we want inside the inner temple of our own mind and make our own independent plans to kind of claim that for ourselves. What I have found 
uh, in many, many years of couples counseling and working with families and lots of time with other people, people who have issues with sustaining compassion for others and being warm-hearted with others, very often at bottom, it's because they're not really comfortable in their own skin. They're not at ease fundamentally with themselves, and they don't, they don't feel in touch with a kind of grit and moxie and inner strength, which then enables them to move more into the depths of intimacy and the rough and tumble with other people. So I tend to start with, that's why partly I start in the seven and got to start somewhere with steadiness of mind, which includes the preliminary foundation of getting on your own side, of being for yourself not against others, but for yourself. Then on that basis, you can be much more large-hearted and open and generous with other people. Because at bottom, you know you're not gonna let them overrun you. You feel like a deeply rooted tree, right? The winds can whistle and blow. You're not fighting the winds. You know, you might lose some leaves occasionally, but you're not uprooted and eventually, you know, the storm goes by and there you are. So you wanna try this weird three breast practice? Yeah, okay. Absolutely, let's do it, let's do it. And it's grounded neurologically, like I'll spare you some of the gory neurological details, why it really works. That's mainly in the wholeness chapter uh, of the book, but here we go. So in the first breath, breathing while feeling your chest as a whole. Going at your own pace. And in the second breath, Breathing while feeling caring, being aware of the feeling of being with someone you like, keeping it simple, focusing on the feeling, maybe aware of the area around your heart, perhaps with a hand on your heart, breathing while feeling caring. And then in the third breath, which could be a little challenging, Breathing while feeling cared about. Keeping it simple, focusing on the feeling of being with someone who likes you, with friends, maybe your dog, could be someone who loves you. Breathing while feeling cared about. Okay. And those are the three breaths, and you're, you can do them just one, two, three in a row anytime you want. I could, the weirdest thing for me was between the, the initial breath of feeling your whole chest and then feeling love for someone, it was almost like my stomach punched out, or there was like a release in a way when I was breathing in and I would have that thought. It was great. And then I was able to breathe more. That was wonderful. Well, that's really interesting. A little science here. You know, you yeah. had probably some kind of vagal, it's called a vagus nerve response where- I've just been working with that vagus nerve. That's, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Well, that's ahead. great. Yeah, so when we feel relational, just like you're saying, um, the parts of the nervous system, a key part that's involved with that, that rises up into our head and face and brain. Like you have a very animated face, Royce, a lot of, you know, warm I know, yeah. expressions <laughs> in it. Uh, so anyway, so as we engage the social engagement system, it's called, we feel that relational quality. It also sends descending signals down into the heart and lungs and gut that are so-called parasympathetic. And there's a letting go often. Isn't that interesting? The whole point of it all is practice. It's experiential practice. It's like the difference between when you go out to dinner, you know, do you want to eat the menu? No. <laughs> the menu just points you to what, 
what the real nutrients are, and then you take them into yourselves. That's why experiential practice is the heart of the matter. Yeah, and you talk I, about how practices actually change your brain. Yeah. And you're, you're more more likely to keep doing them. And I the reason I was trying to interrupt is I definitely want to get into, you know, installing this kind, installing yep. a new pattern. And you talk about that with the acronym HEAL. And mm-hmm. I thought, let's, let's roll into that a little bit. Maybe we can circle back to some of the other things we've been talking about. But let's talk about HEAL. What's, how do you suggest installing this kind of new processing? Yeah. So if we change for the better in any way, let's say we become less traumatized or depressed, uh, that's a change for the better. Or maybe we become more skillful dealing with our relationship. Like, for example, uh, there'll be times with my wife where I'll realize that I'm getting cranky about something or I'm having an interaction with her and I'm just starting to think, this is not going well. <laughs> and I start realizing, <laughs> never oh, happens. Never oh, okay, happens. <laughs> I need to try something different, a different attitude or different way of speaking. I want to help it land. So the next time it happens, I don't make the same mistakes. In other words, I acquire, in effect, a new kind of habit. Well, any positive change for the better must involve a physical change in the body, especially its nervous system and the headquarters of the nervous system, the brain. So the question then becomes, how do we get those physical changes to stick? Right, we've all experienced having a good intention on you know New Year's Eve or January first, and it's gone by th- three days later or maybe three <laughs> minutes later. Uh, we've all had the sense, you know, you do a little meditative practice, something nice happens with another person. Maybe another person is is friendly to you or complimentary to you, and it feels good for five seconds, but then you don't feel it anymore. It's like cotton candy; it's gone. It has no nutritional value. That's really unfortunate. It creates a lot of endless striving. So the alternative is to help your yourself from the inside out, steepen your growth curve as you go through life to help beneficial learning in the broadest sense, uh, help learning land. So the key to that is really summarized in this cool saying from brain science, um, neurons that fire together, wire together. So the longer you Uh, keep them wiring together, the more they're going to fire together. So stay with the beneficial experience for a breath or longer rather than chasing the next shiny object or letting others rain on your parade or ruin your moment. Stay with it, right? Mm -hmm. Second, uh, the more uh, you're embodied in your experience, right? The more you're actually enjoying the meal, not just reading the menu, the more you actually feel uh, caring or feel cared about, not just the concept that so-and-so actually does like me or gave me a five-star review on Amazon, but to feel something. So more in your body, you're gonna, it's going to sink in. And also, the more you're aware of what feels rewarding about it. In other words, the more that neurons that track um, reward with dopamine and norepinephrine uh, and other neurochemicals, the more that you have a sense of something being enjoyable or meaningful, again, the more that that experience of mindfulness, compassion, gratitude, self-worth, greater skillfulness with other people, the more that it's going to sink in. And so for me to finish, I guess, um, what this means is that we have an amazing power inside ourselves that no one can take from us in which we can help ourselves grow, learn, and heal in lasting ways every day. Mm -hmm. It's usually a breath or two here, a minute or two there, 
occasionally longer, maybe for a few minutes just before going to bed, just trying to marinate in the way of being that we really want to cultivate in ourselves. But however we do it, in ways that are mainly informal, occasionally some formal ones, we can change ourselves for the better from the inside out and therefore change our lives for the better as well, which then, of course, benefits everybody else around us. That's the essence of what's called positive neuroplasticity. That's a mouthful. I will not title a book with that. You're welcome to, Royce, if you want to do that. Positive neuroplasticity. You heard that's it here. That's going to be my book. Or you, Jim. That's right. That's right. But that's the essence of the process. And for me, it, it might sound like kind of airy-fairy. It's that, uh, no, the more the world is kicking you in the teeth and the more that it's not helping you out the more important it is to cultivate these strengths of various kinds inside ourselves every day, grounded in lasting physical changes in your own brain. Awesome. I, I love and so the, the acronym HEAL is have a beneficial experience, enrich it, absorb it, and then link positive and negative material. Together. You're doing Together. the full, the full enchilada or something it's called i forget but anyway yeah exactly right the link step is optional in other words that's where for example you would be aware in the foreground of awareness let's say of feeling uh, loved and included and valued today and off to the side maybe old feelings of being small and left out and not as good as others and since neurons have fired together wired together the positive would gradually associate with the negative and filling it up but that's optional because it's not necessary for growing the good inside yourself, and also because sometimes people get hijacked and traumatized, re-traumatized by the negative. But that's negative, the essence yeah. of the process, and I appreciate the fact that you, Jim, you know, you, you knew it. That was great. Thank you. So uh, let's talk a little bit about suffering and, and the things that we go to. You mm-hmm. mentioned that it's the, the Buddha's uh, teaching as the first noble truth. Yeah. And I have to say, I love this quote from your book where you say, In effect, we have a brain that's like Velcro for painful, harmful experiences and Teflon for enjoyable, useful ones. That's a very interesting way to put it. Yeah. Oh, that's the brain's... The truth is fantastic, but that's what Uh, I was to say. thanks. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but it's true. We have, we're walking around in the 21st high-tech century, space travel, all kinds of exotic stuff with Stone Age brains which explains a fair amount of our politics these days because part of it is that we grew up in small hunter-gatherer bands until only about 10,000 years ago. Um, We evolved in those bands of 40, 50 people your whole life. So it made sense. Cooperate with us, fear us, and hate them, right? It's a very primal thing that we have underneath of all of this veneer. Yeah. So in that context, we have a brain that uh, is really good at learning from bad experiences, once burned, twice shy. That's the negativity bias. But it's like a bottleneck. It's not really good at learning from the ordinary, authentic, genuine, beneficial experiences of everyday life. So we have the power, and we need to take the power, I think, to pop open that bottleneck so that um, it doesn't just selectively internalize that one negative review we got, right? Mm-hmm. That one odd interaction with a coworker today, that one funny pain in our body that's just sort of drawing our attention. We don't get hijacked by that and instead have a chance to, to in effect, turn our brain into being more like Velcro for positive experiences and Teflon for negative ones. I have a friend who, who has a kind of a little saying, I'll just share it fast here, which is, um, we have a tricky brain. Uh, it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility for what we do with it. 
I like I that. I like that That's, too. It's hundred percent true. So uh, you talk about your conviction is that the mind and the universe have the same deep na- nature to yeah. be emergent, empty, and full of possibilities. And you you talk about the what might be referred to as transcendental in a way. Can mm-hmm. you elaborate on that a little bit? I know some people kind of want to avoid that aspect of it, but tell me about that. Well, this gets into some pretty deep stuff that is understandably conceptual at first, often, but fairly soon you start to realize, wow, it's really true. And to kind of underline what I think is the value of actually slowing down to let this kind of stuff sink in is to appreciate out of respect that sometimes you'll read a sentence from an enlightened teacher and you will come back to that same sentence for the next 20 years. It's okay that it, ha- that it has that quality of depth to it. So to put it really succinctly, if you look at all experiences directly, nothing woo-woo here, you just observe, okay, like right now I'm looking at a glass of, that has water in it. That's an experience. It's an experience of something tangible and material, right. but the experience itself is in my mind. Okay, you could do it right now with a sensation, with a thought, a memory. Okay, you look at an, any kind of experience. You realize it has three characteristics. It is impermanent as an experience. It is made of parts, and it arises dependently upon its causes. It doesn't have some kind of absolute self-causing existence. So that in the technical term, it is empty of essence. It exists, but it has a kind of cloud-like insubstantial quality as the nature of all experiences. And a fair amount of especially traditional Buddhist practice is about deepening our insight. Uh, The word is vipassana, our insight into this nature of experience as empty. And the reason for recognizing it as uh, foamy and insubstantial and ephemeral and, and, you know, (laughs) yeah, ownerless ownerless and, and so forth, is to undermine the tendency to cling to experiences and crave them and reify them and thingify them and try to possess and own them, which creates tension and friction and suffering for ourselves and other people. So it's, it's a useful insight, this recognition that's deepening into the kind of emptiness of experiences. All right. Then also, if you look at almost anything in the physical universe, a tree, a, a brick, another person. All right, I'm going to do it with you, Roy. Sorry. Here we go. You're real. You exist. And I can see, well, you've got a body. It's changing. It's kind of wild to realize that we swap out almost all the atoms in our body every few weeks, all the water in our body, even in our bones, you know, different atoms exchange over like seven years, roughly. We tend to replace all the atoms in our own body. So there's an impermanence to it. It's also made of many, many parts, right? Cells, atoms, quantum particles, who knows what. And it arises dependently. There were so many causes that made it come into being. It doesn't just have some absolute existence. So even as a physical object, a tree, a human body, a microphone, it too is, in the technical sense, empty, empty of essence. It has that quality to it. it. It exists. It's not void. This is not nihilism, but it's empty. Well, then you start to realize that a thought and a synapse, every thought and everything has the same nature. Whoa. And as you start to recognize that and you kind of relax into that, you start seeing the common 
nature of mind, you know, thoughts, information, experiences, ideas, perceptions, the common nature of mind and brain, you know, mind and matter altogether. And when you get that, you kind of go, whoa, right? That Just is that incredible. Yeah, and, and there's this metaphor in the book that, uh, of eddies in the stream. In other words, everything is a patterning. Every thought is a patterning of information. Yes. Yeah, grounded in a patterning of neural activity that is rested in a patterning of a particular body, which is a patterning of the Big Bang universe, which itself right. is maybe possibly also emergent in spacious, timeless possibility, wow. the transcendental. I Wow, that's awesome. That. And I, I hate to cut our conversation out, but we are out of time. We are uh, have you explained have you explained the entire universe yet, Rick? Is that did you want that to end with anything particular? I think that was one of the best explanations I've ever heard. Did you uh, want to end the uh, conversation real quick? Well, thank you, Rice, and you know, and I, I appreciate that. Well, my, my quick takeaway, if I could, is a proverb, yes. a Buddhist proverb. Think not lightly of good saying, it will not come to me. Drop by drop is the water pot filled. Likewise, the wise one, gathering it little by little, fills oneself with good. Oh, I love it. I love I it. I love that. I think he won for the inspiration. I think you're book. right. I think but you're right. But winning and losing, what is that? <laughs> right. Well, Dr. Rick Hansen's latest book is Neurodharma, New Science, Ancient Wisdom, and Seven Practices of the Highest Happiness. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, Rick. It's been a delight to talk with both of you, actually. It's been so uh, really. much fun. I really mean it. And I hope we get to, to, to communicate and do this again. Uh, Dick, that would please. be wonderful. You can find more information about Rick at rickhanson.net. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. And make sure you pick up his book. For more information about Royce Christen, go to roycechristin.com and check out his book, Scripting the Life You Want. I don't have a book, but I've got premium video <laughs> courses uh, and I help people create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. I hope you'll join me there. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.